Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. On this Mother's Day 2012, here's a very special mum to an enormous number of children. Irene Gleeson is a mother of four, grandmother of 15, and carer to thousands of orphans in Uganda, Africa. At the age of 15, Irene played house mother to her seven siblings after her mother died. Much, much later, when her youngest daughter turned 21, Irene decided to rescue destitute children in Africa. In 1991, she sold all her possessions, including her beachside home, and took off overseas. Today, the Irene Gleeson Foundation employs 420 staff to work in several full daycare schools for around 10,000 children. Irene has been recognised for her inspiring work, receiving the honour of Officer of the Order of Australia on the Queen's Birthday Honours List of 2009. What a mother, what a story. Irene, welcome to Open House. Thank you, Lee. It's a privilege to meet you. Thank you so much for coming in. It's wonderful to be here. Why do you have such a heart for these kids in Africa? I believe it's God's heart what really propelled me there were the word of God. It kept coming into my eyes and my heart that God hates unequal measures. And he has put the resources of the world equally all over the world. And truly without war, these children could live very well and very comfortably and happy. But because of greed, which makes war, the children have been deprived of their, rel- you know, their parents are dead and there's no food and there's no, there's nothing there for them. And it's the heartbeat of God I follow. Tell us more about the circumstances in which you find these children. Well, they have had 26 years of war. The war finished six years ago, but now the there's nothing there for the children. So the thing is to continue giving them nutrition, giving them medicine, and uh, building them clinics and schools where they can go for school education and food, medicine, and to continue like that. Describe to me the kind of day these kids would have without this kind of care. What war has done for their day-to-day lives? When I went there in 1991, the children were just sitting there. They were totally in despair. They were destitute. Their bellies were swollen with worms and malnutrition. Their hair was red. Uh, They had nothing. There was no schools, no education, no medicine, no food. And if I wasn't there, if I had not followed God's calling to stay there, that's how they would still be. It would be. And, of course, then the, the child traffickers would have moved in. But because I've been there 20 years and now the children that I rescued, when they were six years old, are now 26 and they are Many of them are on our staff and they are the teachers, doctors, nurses, builders and they say, Mama, because you rescued us, we are rescuing the children. When you talk about God's call, how did that come to you? How is that evident? I'm a very reluctant missionary. Of course, who needs to leave Narrabeen Beach? I didn't need to leave Narrabeen Beach or my beautiful family, but it was such a strong Paul, that he, to be honest, he was like he anaesthetized me, and I sold everything at a garage sale, put my house up for sale, and bought a caravan and towed it to the north of Uganda. I mentioned your own childhood. How much does that play a part in the heart that you have for these kids? 
I think that's a big part because my father was an American sailor and he left before I was born. Uh, I'm glad that this American sailor dropped me in Australia and not Korea or <laughs> Vietnam or somewhere like that. And I had the opportunity to get education and get nutrition and medicine. I was a severe embarrassment to the whole community. They used to spit on me. You know, I was a bastard child. And I, I learned that word very early. And people just thought there was nothing good would come of me. And so now I enjoy taking a child who people think there's no good in them and raising them up and as a... In Uganda now I have doctors, nurses, teachers, accountants who were all grotty little children infested with worms and ringworm and uh, now they're strong young men and women. It's wonderful to see. It literally is wonderful to see. And, of course, uh, the biggest ingredient was God. Yes. God all the way. I dress the children in the blood-red symbol, you know, of Jesus' blood and that is... The, that is the power, that is the protection, the blood of Jesus Christ. How was it that you became, at such a young age, the carer for your seven siblings at the age of about 15? Because my mother died, yeah, of cancer. And uh, when I was 15 and uh, I was in the church by myself and crying because I had wanted to leave my very unhappy home, I had a molesting stepfather and uh, I was there praying in the church and I heard noise up the back and I saw some men bought in a box and I thought, no, God, you can't do this to me. I can't cope with this. And um, <laughs> funny, 50-something years on, I can still cry. Um, but, um, yeah, that I went up and looked and sure enough it was the coffin of my mother and I thought, God, this is too much to bear. So I walked out of the church and said, God, I'm going to do it. You know, I don't need you. I'm going to do it my own way. And uh, so I did. For 20 years, I snared a young man. I had my four children. I got my lovely home, got everything. But after 20 years, I crashed emotionally. And uh, let's say the devil was pressing triggers from my childhood. And I was just... Uh, you know, a mess. I had to go and see a psychologist. I was crying and um, the marriage broke up. How did you make your way out of that? It, it took about three years of trying lots of things. I tried Buddhism and um, I'll never forget, I, w I walked the Himalayas, 300 kilometres. I was going to spend time. You, you know, Eastern religions are very popular because they're so peaceful and, they're, and rather their artwork is so exquisite. But uh, when I went into the shrine at Muktanath, the Buddha statue had his head knocked off and it was over against the wall. And I said, why, why don't you people, you've put the statue back together at least. And they just said, peace, madame, peace, let it be. And I walked out of there. I thought, this is useless because the world has a lot of pain and this is not my scene to just keep saying, peace, let it be. And I'm so thrilled I did because I came back to Australia and got born again. And um, after 10 years of studying the word, that's when God sent me to Africa, right into the war zone, thousands of destitute children, rebels running everywhere, hacking up people, abducting people. But uh, with the power of Jesus Christ in me and through me and because of the blood of Jesus Christ, um, well, I've... God and I, we've been able to change a whole 
thousands of people. I wonder if you're able to put into words what the difference that made to you as a person and in your life, who you are, what you do. Because I've relied on God's strength and power for the last 20 years, because if you go to where I am in Africa, it's still very spiritually oppressed. Um, people, you know, they have nightmares, they see demonic spirits. Ordinary Australians, they, they have a hard time there. Um, because I've relied on him and I've got through, I'm strong in God. God in me, we can face anything, we can do anything. But for myself, I'm just his vessel. My guess is, though, that you were shocked when you got there and saw what it was really like. I was shocked, and uh, I had, by that time I had remarried, and uh, I was with my um, second husband. He was a mighty man of God. But what went on there and with uh, the government was not, uh, they were hostile to us. They didn't believe that we had really come to help the children. And uh, my wonderful husband, he actually ran away and um, ended up marrying an African lady. So, yes, it, it's a shocker of a place. You can't go into Satan's territory and think he's going to uh, ignore you just because you've got white skin. He's going to hammer you. So we both got hammered, and when he left me, sent a divorce letter, I said to God, wow, God, what has happened now? And God simply said the words that David said about King Saul, how the mighty have fallen in the midst of battle. Were you never overwhelmed? Uh, no, uh, yeah, if I'm overwhelmed, I just go under my blankets and pull the blanket over my head. <laughs> but that doesn't last no, I have a wonderful scripture. The word of God is living and powerful and uh, that always, if I can't get out of bed, which is often the case, you know, I rarely do I leap out of bed. But so each morning I either say out of Philippians 1.12, um, you God continually work in me so I choose and do what pleases you. Or else the other scripture is the same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in me and it quickens my mortal body. <laughs> I'm sure you're an inspiration to many mums tonight, to many people generally. On Open House, we're with Irene Gleeson, the founder of the Irene Gleeson Foundation, this remarkable work in Africa. How did your own kids cope with this journey, Irene? My own children, they were the reason I got born again. Because of the divorce, it shattered them. And anyone out there who's even contemplating divorce, as I d went through, I thought it won't hurt my children. They're 19 and 17, 15. They're old enough. But it did shatter them. And they went crazy. They got onto drugs and every evil thing you could do. But um, that's why I went back to the, the Lord, you know, and thought, well, God, you've got to rescue me from all of this. And one of the first scriptures, I'm going to give you some words of God, and they totally changed my children. And within six months of me speaking these words and praying and fasting, uh, my children were all born again, which was wonderful. Wow. 30 years on now, there's a lot more uh, hazards for our children. Yes. So I want to give you some words of God. And if you speak them, remember, um, call things that are not even as they are. Isaiah 8 
uh, verse 18 was the first scripture God gave me and it said these are the children that the Lord has given you we are signs and symbols for the Lord Almighty so you just turn those words of God into a prayer and in um, Isaiah 29 verse 17 to 24 there's a very good one which says that the prey of the tyrant shall be delivered if your child really needs deliverance can he get out of there and it says yes the prey of the tyrant shall be delivered I God will fight with him who fights with you and I will give your children safety and ease and I remember there were times when I was so um, even in Africa and I was so crushed when my husband had left me and there I was just with thousands of destitute children and rebels running mad And one of my favorite scriptures was um, Isaiah 54, verse 11. And it says, Oh, afflicted one, lashed by storms, not comforted. I will rebuild you and I will save your children. And then, of course, one of my favorites, when the children used to get abducted there and it was terror, you know, they were just gone into Sudan and I was so worrying and fretting for them. Then Jeremiah 31, verse 16 It says, wipe the tears off your eyes. Your children will come back home. They will return from the land of the enemy. When you see those children, can you describe to me the heart that you feel for them? Yes, I love them and that's why I always have to go back to them. Even though my own children here miss me so much and my grandchildren miss me so much, But uh, I'm sorry, but the African children have a greater need. Uh, I'm providing, let's say here the government provides medicine and medical care and your education. But over there without uh, what Irene Gleeson Foundation or IGF provides, they have nothing. What improvements have you noticed in their lives since you undertook this work? Well, the uh, the graduates are all strong and healthy and have education. I've even got people doing master's degrees in education. <laughs> and um, I'm building a women's hospital because in Uganda, 16 women a day die uh, in childbirth. So I'm, I've just, that's a new project I've started on the 18 acres of land I have. And I'm building women's hospital there, and I've got doctors and nurses in being trained already, so that when the buildings finish, they'll also be graduated. I'm struck by the energy that you have, how inspiring your story is, <laughs> but also just the sheer organisation of it and yeah. the vision. It's God. Isn't it? We serve an unlimited God. Apparently he's creating the universe while we're sitting here talking. He's he's extending it. And um, he's a bit of a show-off, I think. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I think, well, God, do I really need to build a women's hospital? We have an AIDS hospice there. And I built that because one of my little boys was crying in the school and uh, one on a Monday. And I said, whatever's the matter? And he had three little brothers And he said, my mother, on Saturday, she chased us out to play. And when I came back, she was hanging by her neck and she'd she'd committed suicide because she had AIDS. So um, God just said, well, build an AIDS hospice. And I thought, how do you do that, God? And he said, build something about the size of the school hall, divide it into four wards and put nurses' quarters at either end. So I did, and I'm very proud of that place because... They wheel the patients in. It's it's for 
palliative care. It's when a patient has been discharged from the hospital and they wheel them in in wheelbarrows. We don't have an ambulance yet, but they have wheelbarrows. And they're like skeletons with their babies. And I don't know what happened with prayer, with nutrition and with ARVs. Within a month, they're sitting up. And within 12 months, they walk out of that um, AIDS hospice with their little baby walking. Wow. You've seen thousands of your original African children grow up and develop in their own lives and for the benefit of their own nation. I know that you're not in this for what you get out of it, but it must be tremendously gratifying to you when you see this. Yeah, I think it's a life well lived. Yes. Definitely. And I pray that uh, I've done 20 years, so I've raised one generation, and now I'm aiming for the next generation. I have a little boy there, and he's like my little symbol. Uh, he's only one year old now, and his mother was 18, and she died from AIDS last one year ago. And the family was in, they were very much into witchcraft, and they wanted to virtually sacrifice this little boy because his life had taken the mother's life. And so I have him in the dormitory. His name's Dennis. Everybody loves him. And he's a symbol of um, I want to live till he's 20 and then I will be praying, God, take me home. <laughs> Good and faithful servant. <laughs> Is there one of your older children in Africa who you can point to and tell us the story of them that kind of keeps you going to whom you can point and say, that's what it's all about. Oh, there there are many, sure. many. Yes, but I, I, I particularly, I think I love my doctor. We, uh, he was a very clever boy. He used to sit very quietly in in my school, and I said to him one day, "You're so clever. Where are your brothers and sisters?" And he told me the story when he was three years old. He was playing in the grass. The rebels came, and he hid, and the rebels. Uh, pushed his seven brothers and sisters and his mother into uh, a hut, you know, a grass hut, and burnt them all alive. And uh, but that boy has just grown, you know, studied with me, and I've put him through university, and he's now studying medicine, and he will be the head doctor in the women's hospital. He calls me um, what's he, he calls me a very sweet name, Princess Mama. <laughs> <laughs> so I call him Prince Vincent, but I think to have you know, but we have to get him through. Uh, I have to pray him through. He's a there's some trauma, of course, there, yes. and uh, sometimes he's a little bit too quiet. Okay, but God will restore my soul, like He said. You know, He'll restore His soul. How beautiful! How significant was your recognition in the Queen's Birthday Honours list in two thousand and nine? It was, can I be really honest? Sure, sure, sure. It was fairly good, but um, I'm, <laughs> I'm, waiting surprised. For, I'm waiting for the big crown up there <laughs> from my father, from Papa God. I'm sure you'll get that <laughs> good and faithful servant. You've written a book, The Dance of the Tragic Heroines. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that. It begins in 1893 when my grandmother Jessie was born. My grandmother Jessie was a half-caste Aborigine. And uh, her mother was full blood. So, and then it goes through the story of my mother, uh, who my father was an American sailor, that story, and then myself and my daughter. And my granddaughter is called Jessie, also born in 
110 years after my grandmother. So it traces the 110 years. So it's a little bit of a historical novel about Australia. But the tragic heroines, uh, I was so used, in my childhood, I was so used to uh, the women in our family being abandoned and uh, tragic. And I can remember God, when I got saved, God saying to me once, are you going to be a tragic heroine all your life? You know, when I had a bit of a pity party. And uh, I said to God, yes, of course, you know, tragic heroine, why not? That's what all the movies are made of. And then I realized, no, I don't want to be. And I realized that God has set me free from being a tragic heroine. And I'm the first in my family uh, to be saved and to be on the right track. What's being a mum mean to you, to your immediate children, yes. grandchildren, and these thousands of others? Well, I think women are born with, we have nurturing, you know, we, we are nurturers, aren't we? And we have a special grace of God. And whether we have our own children or the world's children, there are enough thousands and thousands of destitute children that need loving. And um, I, I take my hat off to the scripture teachers out there who go into the schools and are putting Jesus into the hearts and the minds of young children who, if we leave them without Jesus in our government schools, you know, in, in 10 years we're going to reap a terrible harvest of godless young youth. So I take my hat off to the young, you know, to the people who, the scripture teachers who are out there putting Jesus into our children. Yeah. I hope there are more than a few people listening tonight who might be inspired to follow in your footsteps. Who knows where this might end? Irene Gleeson, thank you so much indeed for joining us on Open House. And we'll put the details of the Irene Gleeson Foundation up on our Open House community Facebook page. Thank you, dear. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.